I am so thankful, I don't know about you, for the worship that we've already had today. Uh, amen? Yes. Um, I needed it, and it's so good to be able to be with you this morning. I'm Joel Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, maybe you remember the story. Uh, I told it a long time ago, uh, probably about seven or eight years back. Um, I had surgery on the back of my head. I had something called a Chiari malformation. Um, and uh, it's not as big of a deal as it sounds like with the pronunciation of it. Um, really what it is is my bones in my body weren't there the right way, and so the spinal fluid, if you know anything about it, it comes up around your brain and back down your back, and it wasn't doing that very well, so it would all basically get stopped in my brain and create a lot of pressure, and so they had to come. People were like, oh, you had brain surgery. I did not have brain surgery. I had surgery on the bone around my brain, and what they did, um, I got a really cool scar from it, which is like reason to have the surgery by itself, right? Um, and then as a result, what they do is they come in, they shave down C1, C2, cut through some ligaments, tendons, and all of a sudden the, the spinal fluid can flow freely because what was happening, it was all building up right up here and creating a lot of pressure. Uh, the neurosurgeon said basically a migraine times three. And I had just assumed that, that was the way I was going to live my life. I didn't know if it was normal or not. This is kind of what I was living with. So I'm about to go have the surgery. And what's taking place at the time is we had our fourth child just a few weeks before. This child decided to get really sick. Doctors didn't know why. He's in one hospital, really sick. Um, and then I need to go have surgery. My wife's like, how are you going to get there? I need to be at the other hospital because I had to go to a different hospital. I'm like, I want to take an Uber. She's like, you can't take an Uber to have surgery. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. This guy, Michael Reap, says, I'm going to take you. Went to the church. I had been ministering to him and caring for him. And all of a sudden at 6 a.m., he shows up my house and he's in a full suit. And I found out later on he actually canceled a trip that he needed to have to Europe for business. He was an attorney. He canceled that trip so he could drive me to surgery, full suit. He picks me up and he drives me. And I look at him. I said, why are you in a suit? He says, I'm taking a man of God to have surgery. Now, that's not saying much about me. What it's saying is the relationship that we had together. And because of that, he treated me a certain way. And so here he is, he shows up in his car, he drives me 45 minutes to an hour north to Yale New Haven Hospital to get out and to have surgery that day. And I think about all that and I go, man, a lot of the way that he was treating me was really because of who I had become to him and, the, and, and how I had poured into his life. And we all end up doing that. We all treat, the people you're sitting beside right now, no matter how well you know them, you typically treat them based on the value that you think they give to your life. I want you to process that for just a little bit. You treat them based on the value that you assume that they give to your life. And so if you think someone's really giving a lot of value to your life, you treat them differently than someone that you don't think is giving much value. In fact, one person you may completely ignore, the other one you may just ask questions of, or you may really try to do everything you can to appreciate the person who's pouring into your life and you recognize what they've done for you. And so as a result of that, I was so honored and blessed that day. I was so encouraged that day to have this guy show up in a suit, drive me to a hospital nearly an hour away to have surgery. And it was cool to be able to recognize, but sometimes we need to recognize the way we treat Jesus is dependent upon the value we believe that he gives to our life. And today, in the midst of this new series that we're in, we get to talk about a couple of different people 
who I believe gave, I think they gave Jesus a different value. We're in a series called Encounter, and we're just going to keep looking. You're going to learn so many different Bible stories, okay? A bunch of people who encountered Jesus, and then we look at not only how they encountered Jesus, we're going to learn the backstory and everything that's been taking place, but then we get to look at it and go, okay, how are they then responding to that encounter? And then how are their lives being transformed? And hopefully what's going to happen is you're going to look at these stories and go, man, what's the encounter that I've had with Jesus, and how am I responding, and am I responding in an appropriate manner? And so we're able to do that today. And so we're in Luke chapter 7. I would love for you to be able to turn there. Luke chapter 7. It's in the New Testament. You have Old Testament, New Testament, right? About 400 years after the Old Testament was complete, uh, you've got in the, during the intertestamental period, you've got that, and then you have the New Testament, you've got the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Luke is also the guy who wrote the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and so we're in Luke chapter 7 today, being able to jump into it, and I'm going to invite you to go and just stay there the entire time. Luke chapter 7, um, and we're going to better look at this story, and just in honor of who God is, and recognizing that we adore and love the Word of God I want to read it for us now. And so will you please stand with me in recognition of the word of God. Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to begin with verse 36. I don't want it on the screen. I either want you reading it right here as I read it out loud and follow along with me, or just close your eyes if you need to. Let it soak in whatever you have to do. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36 and following, and it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And so he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, this is Simon. You're going to learn more about this later on. So here's Simon, a Pharisee, says, come eat with me. And so Jesus goes in and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with, his oint, with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him into his home, right, he said to himself, and he's thinking this, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And so Jesus answered him, And said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus looks at Simon and says, A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other had owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Both the guy with 500, the one with 50. Okay, he cancels the debt of both. And Jesus looks at him and says, Now which of them will love him more? The one, Simon says, that I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus looks at Simon and says, you have judged rightly. And so turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little 
loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. This is the word of God. Praise be to him. You may be seated. So you're hearing about some of that encounter right now. So here's a Pharisee named Simon. And here he is in Luke chapter 7. What we see is this Pharisee, and it's possibly because he's already encountered Jesus. Maybe he's heard him teaching in a synagogue or something like that. We don't know exactly why, but he's wanting to get to know Jesus more. He's wanting to discover more about this guy. And so he looks at Jesus and he says, hey, listen, why don't you come on over? Why don't you come over, have some food that's just like today, Fellowship, that type of eating together, sharing a meal together was incredibly valuable, incredibly important. And so Jesus goes into the Pharisee's house, and he, it says that he reclines at the table. So here's Jesus being invited in for a meal. He goes with him. And it kind of appears that Simon is inviting Jesus over so he can kind of contemplate and learn and kind of discover who he thinks Jesus actually is. But it says in the Greek, it says that Simon wondered if Jesus was the prophet. It does not say if he, that he wondered if Jesus was a prophet. I think back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, right, where it speaks about that very thing. Deuteronomy 18, 18, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and I will speak to them all that I have commanded. And you look at this and you go, okay, wait a second. Thousands of years before they would have known, if you've ever questioned the power of the word of God, all, it all ties together, prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. It's amazing to consider. And so all of a sudden, here's a Pharisee. The Pharisees would have known of all these teachings. They would have known of the law. And he's going, I'm wondering if this is the prophet. I hear what this guy is saying. I know about this guy. And so here's this Pharisee who's wanting to examine and kind of decipher for himself, who do I really gauge this guy as being? Who do I really, who am I going to determine for him to be? Now, some of you are doing the same thing. Some of you right now in life, you're trying to discover who Jesus really is. Someone not long ago, just a, few, a couple, three weeks back, somebody came to me, and I learned that they had, this was the first time they'd been to church in 20-some-odd years. I look at that, right, and I go, wow. Some of you are trying to learn and discover, who is this Jesus? You're trying to determine if this is real or if it's not real. And maybe you're a Simon. You're a guy who is going, hey, I'm just going to be very somewhat analytical, maybe just trying to discover. We're not exactly sure, but you're trying to figure out who he is. And for some of you, that's a crucial moment. In fact, I would argue that for all of us, that moment is crucial. And so you're sitting there, and you're wanting to know the legitimacy of Jesus Christ. Is he legit? Is he real? Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit right now. Um, how many of you have ever heard of MC Hammer? Raise your hand. Right? I, I, if you're, I see some younger people raising your hand. Typically, if you're not at least 35, you don't know who MC Hammer is. MC Hammer is a guy, if you go YouTube him. All right? Learn all of his dance moves. All right? And we're going to do those together next week. Um, he's a guy who brought out the parachute pants kind of thing, like where the, the crotch would come down to the knees. Like he's the first guy to jump out of a plane, I think, with no parachute because the pants kind of held him up. And he, he's a guy, he would always sing the words, too legit, too legit to, you're all old. <laughs> That's what you just said. You're like, wow, you all know the song. It's a great song if you're deaf. And so, 
It's just that song. Like, it's like, because it sticks in your head and you just want to say, get it out. Get out. Right? But it's that song. Too legit. And here's the thing. The reason I share that, I know it's a little silly, but the reason I share it is you're trying to discover right now the legitimacy of Jesus. If he is truly legit. If him being the son of God is real, and if you're really going to accept for yourself that he is God. And some of you perhaps have spent 20 years declaring that he's the son of God, but you haven't actually acted it out in terms of acknowledging the legitimacy of Jesus Christ. And that's part of what we get to learn about today. What legitimacy have you given to Jesus? What legitimacy have you given to Jesus? In that time, if you were to have somebody over, there are certain kind of rules that came along with it. Right? There's certainly rules here I've learned in West Michigan um, that when you walk into somebody's house, the very first thing you do is what? You take off your, yeah, like, and if you don't, you may die. <laughs> I've, learned, I've just learned that. I'm like, you take off your shoes, so now I'm always making sure that I'm like, oh, I'm always wearing socks. Like, I'm like, okay, this is just, I got to do it. And it's fine. It's just one of those things. And according to where you live in the region, especially the country and the area, the, the world that you live in, there are certain rules and how you treat people. Right? There's a the kind of thing I was just kind of raised up knowing that if somebody came over, you always offered them a, a beverage right away. And then you would show them kind of where they, they were and say, if you, anything else you need, just go get it because we want you to be comfortable here. And so if you feel like you have to ask, that means you're not comfortable. Right? And so that's just, I'm not saying if you don't do that, it's wrong. It's just, a, that's kind of the way I was raised, and we were raised different ways. And back then, if you were inviting a guest over, there are certain things that you did. One of the very first things that you did is you would offer a kiss on the cheek, right? You would offer that kiss on the cheek, and you would welcome them into your home. And it was just a standard greeting that you would have. Another thing that you would have is you would provide water for their feet to be washed. And if you were really wealthy, you would have a servant who would wash that guest's feet for them. But typically, you would at least have the water available. Why? Because they were walking on roads and areas that were absolutely filthy. They were sharing those territories with animals and everything else. And so here they are, and they're wanting to clean their feet. That was just as important as cleaning anything else. And so they're wanting to have that opportunity. And so often when a guest would come over, you would provide that water for them. And again, if you're wealthy, a slave to, or a servant, to be able to provide that washing of the feet. Now, another thing that wasn't as common by far was sometimes they would offer, especially this goes with wealth as well, but they would offer oil, olive oil. It would be unscented for the head. And you're going, okay, why do you need the olive oil for the head? Well, one, they were... Mediterranean area, it was hot, it was certainly something that you can imagine how your skin would get, and so they would, it would provide both cooling and refreshment on the head, but also moisture for the head, and so they would provide that as well. Well, here, here's what's unfolding before us, is that you've got this woman who, after Jesus has come into Simon's house, she sees what's unfolding, and she goes, what's happening here? What's happening here? She runs in, and we find her standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. 
Now you're going, how is that possible? I want to show you a picture here. And what you're going to see is how they would have reclined at a table. This is something that would have been somewhat standard. Um, and they would have come together as somewhat of a U-shape. And it's amazing to be able to, think, to see and to be able to think about and to contemplate all this. Um, it would have been referred to as a triclinium, and they would have been there together, kind of leaning. That's why reclining on the table, but their feet would have been behind them. So now you can imagine when it says that she's there weeping at his feet behind him, you can kind of see how she could have come up and began to wash his feet. But there's more to this story. Because all of a sudden, what we find here, and it's remarkable to see, is you see this woman who later on, many of the scholars think that this would have been a prostitute. This is someone who is certainly, it refers to her as being a sinner, which means a Pharisee would not have been associating with this individual. And now, all of a sudden, here she is. She's outside this house, but she sees what's happening inside this house. And for her, I believe it's simply unacceptable. Because what she sees is this. She sees that this is Jesus. I think she's had some exposure to him somehow recognizing who he is. And he, she sees this other person and he comes into this home and he's not being greeted with any of these, these recognizable signs of how you would treat someone who is a guest in your home. And for her, she's going, wait a second, don't you know who this is? In many ways, she comes, and she kind of comes up here, and she sits down behind him and is washing his feet. And the reason I want to do this is because for some of you already, this makes you uncomfortable. Because you want things formalized. You want things in a certain way. In fact, many of us today that are sitting in this place, maybe watching online, I don't know who it is, but we've already determined who Jesus should be for us. And this is, we've already determined how our life is going to be. And this is how things should be handled. And yet here comes this woman into the house and she goes, no, wait a second. I know I don't know Simon. I know that I'm not welcome here. I know they consider me to be a sinner. I know that what I'm about to do is awkward, but this is Jesus, the son of God, and you're treating him nothing like who he really is. And so it begs us the question, have we formalized Jesus so much that we've lost an understanding of who he is? Jesus is not nearly as concerned with your formalities as he is and as he cares about your surrender. And we don't like that sometimes because you want to know why? We can control the formalities. Right? This is how we do things. This is how we behave. This is how we act. This is what it looks like. And don't change any of it. I know that it's only been around for about 70 or 80 years in our tradition and how we're behaving, but this is as good as the Word of God. And we want to act a certain way. And yet here comes this woman and she breaks every single mold. Everybody was watching her and going, what is she doing? You know that she's encountered Jesus because all of a sudden she's at his feet. And it tells us, Luke chapter 7, it says, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Again, many think this was a prostitute. She learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. And so she brings over an alabaster flask of ointment. This would have been roughly a year's worth of income. And she goes and gets it. 
It shows the value that she gave to Jesus. I told you before, your response to Jesus often shows the value that you've given to that individual. How you handle, treat someone else. The guy who shows up at my house at 6 a.m. who's an attorney and takes me to the hospital in a suit is because he gave value to who I was in his life. And so here's this woman, and it says, standing behind him, verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Again, we don't know if this, what encounter this woman really had already had with Jesus, but it had to have been there. Because here's this woman who is a sinner, and here's what she does. She steps out of the shadows, right? A prostitute then, a sinner then, would have lived a very different life than a Pharisee. Like they would not have associated with one another at all. And so knowing that they would not have associated with one another, all of a sudden here she is and she steps out of the shadows. Even though she's not formal in her engagement with Jesus, she is still respectful of her engagement with Jesus because it was appropriate and acknowledging that, she was, that he was the son of God. And she stands there and weeps. And some of us, you don't think that you're worth stepping out of the shadow of sin and hardship and difficulty that you've lived in your whole life. And what you're learning right now is that it's worth stepping out of the shadows and Jesus loves you and cares for you. Step out of the shadows. You don't have to keep living in the same sin that you've been living in. That some of you won't release the sin that you, and the mistake that you made 20 years ago even though Jesus is saying, I got you. And so here's this woman who runs over. And you can imagine how she was really treating him because here she is in tears and crying, weeping before him. And one of the amazing things about it is that Jesus was violating, by even allowing her to do it, Jesus was violating all types of social taboos, all types of things that really he should not have been allowing to happen. Right? Often that's what the Pharisees, different religious leaders even did. They tried to trap him not by godly standards. They tried to trap him by worldly standards as though that it would be wrong to break a worldly standard. Some of the taboos that he had been breaking, one, economically, this woman did not belong in this home, right? But also morally, religiously, there are all these different things that are unfolding, and yet Jesus is allowing for all of it. You know, one of the judgments that these people around are watching, and they're looking at Jesus and going, I can't, can you believe he's even allowing this? Can you believe that this is what he's doing? Can you believe that he's allowing this to take place in, in someone's home that's not his home? I love the fact that one of the things that we see here is Jesus is ready to receive everybody. 
We saw it last week with the demoniac, right? Here he comes across, and if you weren't here for it, here comes Jesus, and he, was, he goes and encounters this demoniac, this man full of demons, and he heals him, who was not a Jewish person by any stretch of the imagination. And yet then he gets back on a boat, goes to the other side. He's willing to embrace everybody who will surrender to him. Jesus is not nearly as concerned with your formality as he is your surrender. And everybody observing this, looking at the response, you know that they're shocked that he would accept such actions. And then what he does is somewhat shocking because then he turns the tables on Simon in many ways. He says, wait a second here, I need to handle this differently because in verse 39 it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, that's Simon we learn. And so when he saw this, it says he said to himself, he didn't even say it out loud, he's thinking to himself here. He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered Simon and said the following, Simon, I have something to say to you. So Simon's thinking all this. Jesus knows that he's pondering this. He, it would have been easy to, to recognize, man, this guy's probably wigging out right now. And so Jesus turns around and looks at him and says, hey, I've, I've got something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And he says, listen, here's a certain guy, two, two debtors, one person owed him uh, 500 denarii, another 50. They both couldn't pay, and so you know what he did? He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And he asked him that question. Which of them will love him more? Which of them? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And so Jesus looks at him. He says, yeah, yeah you're right. You judge correctly. And then turning toward the woman, I love this. And this is why I don't think Jesus is angry or anything else. I think he's right now filled with, honestly, compassion. I think he's filled with compassion for the woman. I think he's probably filled with a bit of sorrow for the man. And he's, he looks at the woman and looks at her while still addressing Simon as to speak to both. And he says... Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's come over here and she's wet my feet with her tears. She's wiped my feet with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But ever since I've come in, she, has, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. And so, yeah, her sins are forgiven. And they are many, but they are forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. All of a sudden, what Jesus does is Jesus is looking at this woman, addressing Simon, and you know what he's really doing? He's addressing Simon's heart that, that in some way, somehow, is calloused, has been hardened. And so all of a sudden, here he is addressing that very thing. 
And he's responding and letting them know and teaching them all at the same time. Here's a question for you. Are you open to thinking differently about Jesus? Because some of us, man, we've already determined who Jesus is to be. What a lot of people do is we've already determined the path of our life. You're 39 years old. You've already determined what the trajectory should be. And then as long as God supports that, you're happy. But if something else comes up, you don't like it. And so as a result, your thinking of Jesus is he's here to accommodate your desire rather than going, you know what? No, I'm here to proclaim Jesus no matter the circumstance. Are you open to thinking differently about Jesus? Because so many of us are thinking about Jesus as Simon in terms of, hey, I'm just going to examine who he is and then I'll determine if he's worthy of any of my following or not. Rather than being the woman who said, you know what, I know who he is. I have faith in him. I don't care what the opinion of anybody else is. You can judge me as I walk into your house. You can judge me as I offer a year's worth of wage and anointing his feet and his head with oil. You can judge me as I weep for him. But let me tell you this. He is my God, and I will worship him. The greater the transformation typically comes because the greater the burden you recognize that has been lifted from your life and the greater your gratitude. Simon wasn't sure if he needed Jesus. That's the real crux. Do you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus? Because I believe this woman saw Jesus sitting in the house. She heard that he was going to be there, and she knew her need, had experienced her need for Jesus, even as a sinner, as a prostitute, and she recognized that Jesus is for me too. She knew her need of Jesus. The greater you know your need for forgiveness, the greater you love Jesus. Another way of saying it is the more you understand your need for forgiveness, the more you love Jesus. And this woman knew her need of Jesus. And as a result of that, she responded in a magnificent way. And the struggle with Simon is I don't know if he, I don't know if he understood that he needed Jesus. I mean, he had even invited him into his home, right? But I'm not sure he knew his need of Jesus. Here's another way of thinking about it. The woman loved freely. She loved freely because she knew the magnitude of what she had been freed from. And some of you don't think you have much to be freed from, and so you have little use of Jesus. You give yourself a pat on the back every morning, and you're like, man, you look in the mirror, you're like, I'm great. You may not say it out loud, but that's what you're thinking, and you're trying to promote that in every single way, and you don't recognize your need for Jesus. 
But I'm telling you that the woman loved freely. She loved Jesus freely. She had no concern for what man thought of her because she knew the magnitude of what she had been freed from. Here's another question that is fun for you is, which one are you? Are you Simon or are you the woman? I think in many ways you have Simon who is standing over Jesus. You're going to say, I'm going I'm to question this guy and see who he really is and make sure he's legitimate. I think you have Simon standing over Jesus, and yet you have this woman who's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I mean, which one are you? What are you doing? Which are you doing? That's a great conversation at lunch. Look at somebody and say, hey, ask them, do you think that I'm Simon or do you think that I'm the woman? That's a bold question. Are you, are you, am I the one standing over Jesus, assuming that I have all the answers and Jesus, you think I just have Jesus here to serve my own needs? Or do you think I'm someone who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging the amazing thing that Jesus Christ has done for me because he's healed me and brought me out of my brokenness? But here's a couple of things that we learn. And I want to make sure you walk away with this today is if you're the woman, there's a couple of lessons we learned from this woman that are remarkable to me. And one of the very first things you can write down there, you've got a blank, you can just fill it in, right? Um, is one of the things that you're, you'll do if you really acknowledge, if you encounter Jesus Christ, is one of the things that comes out of that is you begin to live in extreme gratitude. That's the only way this woman is saying, here's this alabaster jar of ointment, of oil, and I'm going to offer all of that to Jesus because she was so grateful for what Christ had done in her life. And so you begin to live in extreme gratitude. You're dumbfounded that the, the, the Son of God would come and live for you too. Here's somebody who has lived in, in the shadows her entire life, think of this. Right now, you have someone sitting next to you who may feel like they're always in the shadows, they don't really matter, and yet here's a woman who recognizes all of a sudden, God loves me too. And so this gratitude wells up within her. Somebody told me earlier today, you expect us just to always respond to God. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because every single time somebody discovers who Jesus Christ is, you know what happens in the Bible? Every single time somebody who acknowledges who Jesus actually is, you know what the response is? They express their overwhelming gratitude and they surrender their life and they run after him with, the, with an abandonment of all of the world and saying, I'm all about Jesus. You can mock me. You can spit on me. You can do anything you want. I will give everything to Jesus because he's done everything for me. That's the God I want you to know. And that is the God our world is desperate for. Do we get this? 
So here's this woman who's living in extreme gratitude. You know what's amazing? We don't hear anything about like, Jesus, I can't believe you let me live the life that I had already and blah, blah, blah. All she is like, wow, he loves me too. Give me some more of that. Here's another thing, second thing. Here's another thing that happens when you're this woman and you see and you recognize who Jesus is and you, you start to respond in your life. Is here's what takes place. You know what you do? You live, please hear this, you live in forgiveness. These people are judging her. Listen to the end of this passage. It says, therefore, I tell you her sins. This is Jesus speaking, right? Ah, oh, so good. And may, let these words sit and soak into your soul right now. Act like Jesus is speaking about you right now, okay? It says, listen, her sins, his sins, they're many, but you know what? They are forgiven. Praise God. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, they started to mumble, who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, and he's saying it to you too. If you're in the same place this woman is in, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. You live in extreme gratitude because you're so overwhelmed with what God has done for you. Right? I, I know, guys, listen. I mean, people tell me all kinds of things about how I express my love for Jesus. I get, often I get, man, you're just weird. And then I hear my wife going, amen, right? God saved my soul. So yeah, I'm going to tell you about them. And my fear is that many of us actually don't recognize that he has saved our soul. He hasn't just said, hey, I'm going to help you out here and there. He has saved your soul. He hasn't just said, hey, I'm going to come and make sure your life is a little better than it would be without me. He's done more than that. He has saved your soul. That's worth expressing. My sins are forgiven because he died for me and the tomb, you know what? It's empty. It's empty. He didn't just come to save the pompous. He didn't come to save the formal. He came to save anybody who would declare that he is the son of the living God. And I will worship him with every breath that I have. With gratitude and thanksgiving, the world can bring what it may, but for eternity I will worship my God. Which one are you? Which one are you? I pray you're the woman. Because this woman knew that Jesus was her new beginning. The struggle and the hardship was shrinking, but the hope and the peace and the fulfillment was rising in her life. Will you live in that fulfillment? Knowing that no matter your past, he's still going, I got you. I got you. That's a God 
that I want to worship and serve all the days of my life. And I pray you join me. God, I thank you. I worship you. I praise you. And we sing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Will you please stand with us?